Well, welcome, everybody. Um, and thank you for taking time for this conversation, which I think is really the most exciting conversation of sustainability, which is how we take it from the realm of our departments into the DNA of our businesses and into every employee's job. And we're very fortunate to have Chris Miller and Rachel Parikh and Lindsay Stoda um, to present some firsthand experience. We've, we've cut all the intro slides from all of our presentations. We're going right into the heart of the matter. So, um, and we're going to talk for half the time, hopefully, and then uh, really dig in with a time for Q&A and conversation. So um, from my perspective, I think this conversation is basically the elephant in the room. And we as a community of sustainability have done a really good job of introducing sustainability to our businesses as a department, essentially, right? And we've done a lot of good work to teach people on a macro level about sustainability. And a lot of us have, have run into challenges getting beyond what I would call the incremental um, because when we're out pitching a project, it's often seen as not core to the person's job that we're talking to. How, how, how many people experience that when you're trying to do something and, and people, you know, resist it because it's not part of their job? Um, and, you know, this is a snapshot that I've pulled together from my years of experience at New Leaf, um, literally talking to people at all levels within organizations because um, we're a, a B2B supplier. And um, what a lot of people have found is there's a small percentage of employees that are proactively engaged, and they see the macro message on the website, they get it in the reports, and they take it upon themselves to proactively participate. And you know those people because they call you up, right, and you, and you help them. Um, there's a majority of people that might be fit in what we call watching and waiting. And these are people that get it and they're, they're sympathetic, um, but they haven't yet felt empowered. Or, or there's about four or five different, in fact, there's a few quotes here, but there's a few different, different issues that get in the way of them really stepping out and investing their time and creativity into, into, into integrating sustainability into their jobs. And the rest, we're not going to worry about them. As long as we have 75%, we're, <laughs> we're, we're good. Um, and this is just kind of a quick snapshot. Um, and it's a yes and. Employee engagement is the necessary first step. And I was having a great conversation at lunch with the folks from Eastman. And, you know, the macro level communication of sustainability brings good, brings good change, awareness, et cetera, but often results in, in, in incremental change because the initiatives are all have to meet an immediate ROI. They're, they're not seen as core to every, every person's job. And what's interesting is that beyond employee engagement is, engagement is the micro. It's building it into everybody's work. And to get from the macro to the micro is really challenging. That's why not that many companies have been able to do it yet. How do you translate a, a big umbrella policy into somebody's job, right, in finance or, or marketing or supply chain, whatever it is? Um, and you know, I'd like to just paint a picture, um, a little bit of just my own trajectory. I was really active in New Leaf for many years. I'm still chair of the board and extremely active in the business. I got a fellowship at the Aspen Institute where I was asked, you know, how can you make the most difference in the world? And this is the topic that I felt could make the most difference, is figuring out how to integrate sustainability into every employee's job. And so at Sustainable Brands two years ago at the conference, we held a, a little co-creative session and... 40 people showed up, and Hunter Levins gave her great presentation, which basically says that there's data that supports that engaged employees result in better business performance. And part B of the logic is sustainability is one of the absolute best ways to engage employees. 
So it's a very concrete case. We want to engage employees. They perform well. We perform well. Best way to engage them is building values into their work. So, um, so basically, uh, last year we took it up a notch, and we held a, a session where 100 people showed up. And at the end of the session, we said, you know, how many of you feel you might benefit from learning in the context of a collaboratory and, and participating together in a conversation? And almost everybody raised their hand. So Sustainable Brands will be launching a collaboratory, we're calling it, which is a co-learning um, group to work on this issue. And um, we're going to be circulating the description of it um, to anybody that's interested. And afterwards, if you want to give me your email address, we'll, we'll make sure you're in the loop. Um, and it's a, it's a subset of members that care about this and want to work on it. So I'll just close with one final thought. So if you all think about the current reality, where sustainability departments are always making the case for every initiative, and, and look, sometimes it really works and sometimes it doesn't. And why don't we all imagine um, in the not-too-distant future a time when every employee in our corporations, A, understand and from a big-picture perspective how sustainability fits into the core value of the business, right? It's not an add-on. It's built into the, the value proposition. And then B, every employee understands and is empowered to integrate sustainability into their decision-making and in their incentives from their, their manager, et cetera. And what's going to happen in that frame? I think that will unleash incredible innovation, and we'll see a shift from sort of incremental to true transformational change. And the sustainability departments will become the most desired internal consultants. So instead of chasing people down for projects, you'll have lines outside your door because every employee in the company is going to be rewarded for their contribution, and they're going to need your help to execute their creative idea. So I just want to lay that out there as a positive vision that we can all hopefully embrace. Um, with that, I'll move on to our speakers. And first guy up is, uh, is Chris. Chris Miller, I've known Chris for quite a while. Um, he has a long history of experience with Seventh Generation and now Ben and & Jerry's. And I'll turn it over to you. Hi there. Uh, I'm Chris Miller, and I uh, work at a small Vermont-based company called Ben & Jerry's. Uh, we make ice cream. And uh, I've, this is my sort of second stint at uh, uh, Ben & Jerry's. I returned after a, about a dozen-year hiatus, and it's really good to be back. It's good to be here. Uh, you know, the issue of sort of broadening engagement throughout your business on sustainability, using sustainability metrics to help engage and, and build sort of a culture to company, I think, is incredibly important. Uh, I, I want to, because I recently left seventh generation and did a fair bit of work there on sort of broadening engagement around using sustainability metrics, I want to briefly touch on what we did at, at seventh generation, and then talk to you a little bit about how we engage uh, folks at Ben & Jerry's using uh, a series of metrics that are about both sustainability but also uh, economic and social justice and sourcing. Uh, and I'll be relatively brief, so we've got some time for discussion. So at seventh generation, you all know seventh generation perhaps. It's sort of the leader in, in natural household and personal care products. It's a values-led company that's been around for 25 years uh, and sort of has sustainability baked into its DNA and, and, and business plan. And sort of because of its sort of history as having, you know, uh, 
focused on sustainability around its packaging, its products, and its operations for so long. It had it suffered from uh, sort of an academic approach to sustainability. It, it, we had a, a number of sustainability goals, but uh, probably at the point at which we, we began this work, something like 20 separate sustainability goals that touched everything from product formulation and packaging to our uh, to the company's kind of co-packers and suppliers, but they were very technical uh, uh, sort of goals. They were not broadly understood by most people across the company, even though it was a company sort of founded on this idea of a better way of doing business. I'd be surprised if 5% of the employees could tell you three of those 20 sustainability metrics. And that's a problem. I mean, you know, the truth is the people in the company who, who were tasked with sort of focusing on that area would be familiar with their piece of the sustainability portfolio, but there was not sort of a, a broad shared vision of where we were all headed together. So we were, we were looking for, a, for kind of two broad goals here as we, as we moved from 20 highly technical goals to a more focused and uh, sort of tangible approach to sustainability goals. We wanted to sort of drive increased ownership across the business so everybody knew what the goals were and where we were headed. And then to see whether we could use these goals to, uh, as Jeff suggested, we, we've got to get beyond this sort of incrementalism. If, if we're truly, I mean, we all understand the scale of the problems we face and, and, and you know, we really, to the, to the degree that we can, want to drive innovation across our businesses to hopefully leapfrog, uh, uh, you know, several generations of, um, of progress on these issues. So those really the, the two broad goals. So uh, let me quickly tell you what we did. We, we sort of uh, distilled these 20 goals down to a, a short list of uh, uh, metrics that were tied to the company's most material impacts. Um, and we sort of branded the program. We called it sort of Gen 2, that seventh generation was sort of entering its second generation of business and life. We had new leadership at the company. And this was sort of a, an attempt to kind of refocus uh, the, the sustainability efforts of the company. We uh, implemented an, a company-wide employee engagement program based on these new sustainability goals. So it included 12 modules over the course of a year, one every month. Uh, participation in four of those dozen over the course of the year was required. And I'll, I'll show you how we sort of – I'll touch upon how we tracked that and why we did that. And then uh, – Finally, and, and I would say most importantly, uh, we embedded a short list of the sustainability metrics into the company's cash bonus program. So 10% of everyone's cash bonus program at 7th generation was tied to achieving the sustainability, company-wide sustainability goals. And the truth is if we really want to drive people to focus on what's important, and to deliver against these goals in the same way we incent around the financial performance of our businesses, I'd suggest this is an incredibly effective way to focus people. So these are the, the sort of goals that we embedded uh, in the incentive program. And we sort of changed the language that we were using. We moved from 
sort of like this this high level waste goal to focus on you know what was the biggest piece of the the business's materials footprint and that's plastic right plastic it's both plastic bottles for cleaners but the company also manufactures diapers and wipes that are made out of plastic so a goal focused on virgin plastic use gets after sort of biggest piece of the materials footprint of the business, but also has the potential to drive innovation. There is no diaper made currently made out of recycled plastic or a biodegradable diaper. So if you can if you can set a goal like this that's easily understood, that addresses you know a big piece of your materials footprint, it also has the potential over time to drive product level innovation, which was one of the points. Bio preferred certification. So driving from petro-derived chemicals to, to plant-based uh, uh, chemicals has a, has a big imp uh, impact on the carbon footprint of the products, consumer use phase aside. Um, so what we tried to do was take these sort of, you know, it, it's really hard for people to focus on how in my role do I help the company achieve a, you know, 5% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, but how we move, how the company moves from, from formulating uh, increasingly away from petro-derived chemicals to plant-based chemicals is something everyone in the company can understand, and folks from R&D to product design and sourcing can play a role in that. Uh, quickly, on employee engagement, uh, I suggested that we created this 12-module program over the course of the year. Uh, all employees had to participate in four. We had an online tracking tool, uh, and so, uh, you know, unless everyone participated, one person kind of blew it, everyone's bonus was sort of on the line. So there was, uh, uh, it, you know, a fair bit of peer pressure to participate, but it was a great opportunity because each one of those modules was focused on a portion of the company's sustainability strategy. So it's a, a way to sort of build a baseline and align uh, uh, folks around what it was we were trying to do. And finally, there was a volunteer goal as well. Each employee was responsible for uh, hitting uh, 20 hours or something. So... Quickly, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was broadly successful. The place where we kind of blew it, you know, visibility engagement around this stuff grew dramatically. It was embedded in company dashboards. So every month the, the financial dashboard included the sustainability metrics. Everyone knew where we were. We green, yellow, red-lighted uh, progress against it. It turned out the company was run at a business unit level. And so, uh, you know, you had a sort of personal care side and a, and, a, and a household products care side. So when we set a company-wide goal around virgin plastics use, it, 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 while it directly put us in the, in the right way, there was not an incentive for a sort of back-and-forth bargaining between the business units. I mean, ultimately what you wanted would, would be to create sort of a, a, an allowance, if you will, for each business unit so that if one, you know, if there's going to be a change in diapers that increase plastic content, we're going to have to find and pay for a reduction somewhere else. So devolving from a company-wide to a business unit level uh, goal would have been helpful there. Quickly move into Ben and & Jerry's, uh, and I'll be brief here. Uh, as you all may know, Ben & Jerry's was acquired by Unilever in the year 2000 as part of this sort of unique acquisition agreement that has allowed Ben & Jerry's to kind of continue to be the kind of company it, it you know, really was born as. Um, performance against the company's social mission as part of the acquisition agreement was tied to uh, financial performance. So year over year, we have to measure the results of our sustainability and social mission work and the progress against those goals 
have to be at a rate equal to or more than the financial improvement of the company. Right? So it's measured every year and it's reported both up to Unilever and to Ben and Jerry's independent board of directors. So that requires a way to sort of aggregate and score all of these uh, social and, and sustainability goals in a way that can then be compared to the financial performance of the business. Uh, so these are the goals for 2012. They've evolved a little bit over the years, but have stayed relatively, and I apologize, uh, I guess it's actually a pretty big screen. So you'll see they run, uh, uh, again, across sort of sourcing, fair trade, uh, we've got some, you know, obviously some environment and climate uh, and, and some also uh, goals associated with our franchisee engagement. Uh, so just really quickly, here's what it looks like. It's sort of weighted. Uh, you can see the maximum possible score available. You can see the 2011 <laughs> results and the 2012 results to the right. So, you know, out of a possible score of 200, we were at... Uh, you know, 86, so about a, you know, almost a 20-point increase between 2011, 2012, which I can tell you did, uh, uh, we, we did beat the uh, financial improvement of the company uh, that year, even though we had strong growth. Uh, so what you saw is the way we score it internally, and then when we uh, uh, sort of report on it as part of our social environmental audit report uh, online, this is kind of what it looks like, sort of fun, but we track each change talk about the score, uh, and, you know, this has, you know, we really use this to kind of manage the business. The board does oversight over the business, and then the employees who are involved in procurement and formulating, uh, uh, you know, there is a wide understanding of these goals across the company. So uh, with that, I'll close. You've got to measure this stuff. Then you can manage it. You've got to disclose it. Set goals that are ownable and actionable, so easily understood. And then money talks. Incent this stuff. That's you know what I what what we found at Seven Generation, the best way to get people's attention. So thank you. That's a good list. I like that list. Everybody got it. Um, now it's great to always have a presenter from a company like Seventh Generation and Ben and & Jerry's because obviously they have the high-level communication in place. So they're looking at, um, you know, his feedback was around specific initiatives and where the roadblocks were, so that was really valuable. So very excited to have uh, Rachel Parikh from SAP here. And when I met Rachel, there was one dream I had that um, there would be a way to integrate uh, performance on on engagement and sustainability with financial performance, and uh, they've done it. So, Rachel. Thank you. So, what I'm going to talk a little bit about is um, a little bit about how our employee engagement at SAP has evolved. A little bit, um, like Jeff was saying, from this um, grassroots initiative to how it is today where we're really looking to embed it more deeply into the lines of business. So originally, um, employee engagement at SAP was uh, grassroots. Um, we have a, we actually still have a, a sustainability champions network, where we have people all over the, the company who are um, do things like brown bag lunches, and that they you know, they organize bike to work days and bike to work weeks, that kind of thing. But it wasn't really, and it isn't really um, connected to who we are as a as a company. It's not really connected to our core purpose. 
What we're trying to do now is to evolve it so that it's much more deeply embedded into the lines of business and more, more tightly connected with our core purpose as a technology company to help the world run better and improve people's lives. So let me just um, walk you through a few slides here. Um, first of all, back in 2008 when we started this journey, uh, these are some of the, the, the key metrics that we, that we set out. And we have pretty ambitious goals by 2015 and beyond that we want to meet. And this was a great start because it gave us something to work towards. It gave us things to measure and make sure that we're on the right track. But if employee engagement is about engaging the hearts and the minds of people, this is not really cutting it. It's great, but we're not really, we're not really reaching the people that we need to help us to, to meet these goals. 60,000 people across the globe now. So we knew that we had to go a little bit further. Um, about a, well, earlier this year, we created um, this sustainability dashboard. We thought that if we, we've now got these great metrics, we need people to want to help us work towards these goals. Um, how, do we, how do we engage with them? How do we tell them about them? How do, we, how do we help them to know where they stand? Um, we're a technology company, a software company. We love metrics and we love dashboards. So we built a dashboard using our own technology. Um, and people love it. It's a beautiful dashboard. We, we, all of those metrics that, that I showed you on the slide before, we can, we can um, present using this dashboard. And we put it into the hands of the people so far, the 600, um, 600 kind of most senior leaders of the company, and we're going to be taking it down um, several levels further as well. So people can see this data, not just at a corporate level, but they can see how they're performing within their own organization, within their own business unit. So kind of like Chris was saying, you need to bring it down to the unit level so people can track how they're doing. They can benchmark themselves against their colleagues and other organizations, other com com uh, countries, and so on. So that was great. But there's still a piece missing, and that is, why, if I'm a consulting manager, how, how can, why, do I, why should I care about greenhouse gases? Why should I care about the number of flights that my people take? You know, I have to, I have to send my, my people out to see customers. I can't be concerned with that. So what we realized was that even with the, putting the data in the, in the hands of the people that that need it, we still had some work to do around helping them to understand why this was why this was even important. And actually, as we heard this morning, why it's going to help help them run their businesses better or run their organizations better. How can we help them or how can these metrics help them to be more successful? So um, I'm going to show you now what we've done in the meantime, and then also how, how this is evolving. And some of this, what I'm going to tell you about, is very much work in progress. Um, but I'd like to share some of the things that we've done with you. Uh, this year we did, for the first time, we, we published an integrated report, and I'm going to go into uh, some, uh, some examples here of what we did, um, which was for us was really important. Actually, Thomas talked about this this, this morning. Um, it was important because this kind of integrating integrated thinking where we're looking at sustainability needing to be uh, connected with the core with our core business this integrated uh, thinking is um, reflected in this the fact that we brought our annual report and our sustainability reports together so that was that was an important step for us now one of the really innovative things that we did in this report was really to um, address this question that I said earlier which was why should I really care about social and environmental metrics? How do they create value? 
and how can we maybe use um, th these metrics and a better understanding of these connections to help drive behavioral change at SAP. So what you see on the left um, are the, the different metrics that we track. And what we've done is to try to understand how these are um, connected with each other and how one of these seemingly disparate elements or, or key performance indi uh, indicators, how do, they, um, how do they relate to each other? How do they affect each other? So I'll show you an example here of one of the ones um, Thomas very briefly touched upon it this morning. But you can see here that um, what we're trying to understand was how does employee retention, so how, if I, as a, as a manager of an organization, why should I really care about employee retention? Surely if someone leaves, I can just find someone to replace them and then we move on. Um, and, but what we realized was that losing people or keeping the wrong people has obviously has a, um, a, a, an impact on our, our revenue, on our costs. It has an impact on the success of our customers. And it has an, um, actually has an effect on many of the other KPIs that we have there. And we ca calculated then that that 1% change, whether it's a 1% um, increase or decrease, has an impact of about 62 million euros. So we were actually able to put a, a financial value on, those, on the, the change in those metrics. This was just a start for us, and some of these you can actually, if you go into our integrated report, at sapintegratedreport.com, sapintegratedreport.com, and go into, uh, there's a tab there that says something like fin uh, financial and non-financial metrics. You can go on there and you can actually play with this tool yourself. It's very interactive. You click on one of these KPIs and then it shows you the connections to the different, to the different metrics. So you know, do go and play with that. So we did, we put a um, financial value on two of them. The first one was this one here, the, the retention. And then the second one we did was here with the greenhouse gases where we calculated how much we've saved in financial terms through the initiatives that we've put in place since 2008. So that was, that was a great start and we got a lot of very, very positive feedback on this. Now, the next step was we really want to do this for all of those metrics. And we really want to understand the connections between them all, how they impact each other, and then ultimately what, you know, what, what's the, value, the financial value of those. So this is a, a, a slide that is very much um, something that we're working on behind the scenes. We're, gonna, we're doing this with all of, the, all of the, the metrics that we have to really understand how do they, how do they interrelate. And you know, just as one, um, as one example, the, the health of our, of our people internally impacts employee engagement. It also affects the success that we, uh, our customer success. It affects whether we can retain um, employees, whether we can uh, attract great employees. The health of our, of our people um, impacts productivity. Productivity impacts in our innovation. And then ultimately, all of these things actually impact the, the bottom line. They impact our revenues. They um, impact our operating margin, which obviously are um, a key, um, key objectives that we have as, as, a, as an organization. So what we're learning is how all of these are interrelated. And it's really quite, quite a, um, a, fascinating, fa a fascinating project. Where we are right now, as I said, this is very much work in process. We're going through these mappings, looking to see how one Im impacts the other, um, to try and answer that question exactly, how do these social and environmental metrics um, affect or, or, or create value for the organization and help us to be successful in the long term. And 
this really is, that was the last slide I had, yeah, this is really what we understand to be part of our, um, our vision to help the world run better and improve people's lives, and we want to be able to put this type of thinking into the, into the hearts and the minds of our employees so that they can help us to, um, to be successful in achieving our goals. So, thank you. So, how many of you have seen an annual report that was an integrated report with a sustainability report? So there's a couple of them out there. That's pretty. It's a pretty good uh, shift to be reporting both of those measures together. We're, we're very excited to see that. Um, okay, and finally we have Lindsay uh, Stroda from Interface, and she's going to dig deeper into some of the areas that she spoke about this morning. Um, thank you. Hello again. Um, I wanted to kind of expand on what I talked about earlier today. Um, but it's fair game during the Q&A session if you want to touch back on some of that from earlier. But one of the things that we've been aware of at Interface for a while is really trying to find a way to measure employee engagement. And the human capital work we did just kind of re-emphasized that question for us. So I wanted to talk about something that we've been doing with our America's employees um, just this year as a tool to measure employee engagement, just to give you an idea of sort of what we're exploring in that area. Um, so we've been using text messaging to survey our employees. We have a lot of manufacturing and production employees that can't really just receive an email and respond to it. They don't work at a desk with email. So we needed a way to engage with them, to ask them questions, and ultimately provide a feedback loop from them as well. So we are using uh, pretty simple technology, and it's also quite affordable compared to some other employee engagement metrics that are out there. You really only need a phone and some consulting support. So we're working with an external consultant um, to help us with both developing the questions and looking at the analytics, but also to provide some anonymity. So that's always a concern from the employees when they give you their <laughs> cell phone number and they know you're going to text them a question. Is their boss going to know how they answered the question? Um, so that kind of gives us that level of anonymity there. Um, but the beauty of it is that we can look at the results at a departmental level um, so we can really understand where there might be issues or where things are working well. Um, we can do it quite regularly. It's pretty easy to do. Um, so monthly, quarterly, we've been doing it quarterly. Um, and like I said, it's really low cost. So we reached out to our employees. Um, like I said, the manufacturing folks in the Americas is who we've tested this out with so far. Um, we said, hey, we want to be in touch with you. We want to ask you some short surveys. Um, if you'll respond, we're going to hopefully be able to get back to you with some positive results from your feedback. So the results so far, we've had three quarterly surveys among the U.S. manufacturing employees, and the response rate increased from 23% in the first quarter to 56% in the third quarter. So we were pretty excited that people are starting to adopt this and get more comfortable with it. Um, I put up there a few of the questions that we asked in the first survey, so really kind of high-level questions to just get a feel for um, where people are on engagement, and the main question being, are you able to do your best work daily? Um, second to that, depending on how you answered, does Interface make it easier or harder for you to do your work, and what are the biggest barriers to that? And then also, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
you know, could we do more or are we doing everything we can as a department? Um, what do you think? So, you know, formulating the questions in a way that it's easy for people to answer and respond with their cell phones. But what we were able to do is to really identify some trends in the responses. So say we had one department in our manufacturing team. Um, they run our sort of recycled backing line. And they had had a lot of recent interaction with management. And that team, respond, the response rate, first of all, was much higher than the other um, manufacturing departments. But they also seemed more positive about being able to do their best work. When we compared that to other departments, we didn't see as great results. So by kind of having that level of analytics, real time, super quick, we were able to respond to it. Um, the operations team was able to have some focus group meetings with employees and really get their feedback and understand um, where they might be struggling. So, so far it's been a really successful tool for us. We are exploring it further within the Americas, you know, considering a global rollout, something like text messaging is easy to do in most regions globally. Um, but that's just a flavor of sort of what we're doing on exploring those employee engagement measurement tools. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and thank you all, panelists, for, uh, for being brief and being concrete. We really set our goal on trying to come up with specific, tangible things, because it's often hard to do that at a conference. It's kind of high level. Um, so I have a few questions, but I'd rather start with any questions from the audience. And they can be anything broad, specific to one of their topics, or, you know, again, we're trying to look at how to take this whole issue of employee engagement and, A, do it well on the macro level, but, B, figure out how to integrate it at the employee level and figure out how that can benefit our businesses as well as our impact on society and the environment. Go ahead. I have two questions. I'm Annie Perkins at Anderson Corporation. Lindsay, I'm wondering how you guys, on your text thing, which is super cool, we have a lot of manufacturing employees and we have a hard time engaging them with mm -hmm. computers. Uh, did you ask them to specify what line or what area and because you said you were able to identify. Yeah, so the person who collected the cell phone numbers, and that was a pretty manual effort for her to do that, um, did de determine their department um, and where they worked and wrote that down when that she was collecting the, yep, okay. the cell phone numbers. So that wasn't something we already had, like in HR files. We had to go out and collect the numbers from everyone. Okay, good. And second question is for Chris, um, kind of along those same lines, but as regarding your um, 12 uh, learning modules that mm -hmm. four required So uh, that was the program at 7th Generation, and 7th oh. Generation doesn't own its own manufacturing at COPAC. So we don't have manufacturing employees. So let me just briefly on the modules, though. They did, you know, people have different functions. or sales, sales, so we, we, you know, field sales folks. So we did try and design a program that had a whole host of different kinds of modules. So everything from a book club that could engage anyone regardless of where they were in the con company, uh, country to uh, – uh, you know, online uh, video modules to innovation sessions that happened at the corporate headquarters. So it was a, a very broad range of different kinds of activities to hopefully appeal to a broad uh, cross-section of interests and function within the company. Okay. I'll start from this side and go this way. So one, two, three. Go ahead. Uh, Eric Hillsworth from Morgard. We're a corporate real estate company. Um, one of the things... Uh, was brought up was uh, some people, some 
employee saying it's not my job, and that's not actually our issue. Our issue isn't that it's not, people are saying it's not my job, people are saying I don't have time. Uh, I can't add more to my plate to do sustainability initiatives or special projects or just integrating it. Um, so I was just wondering if anyone had any comments on, have, have any, has any of your employee engagement or have you found any tools particularly useful in getting people to see the pie of their work and slicing off a bigger piece for some of the sustainability initiatives? Uh, so it seems a little less like it's another thing on their plate, but instead kind of like working smarter so they can still do the sustainability activities in their day-to-day -day work. I don't know, if that resonates with someone, just a comment. I mean, you know, you're addressing that direct issue with your business unit issue. and Yeah, I mean, and I think they understood the goal at the business unit level. I mean, I think, I think that it sounds to me like a problem of people f seeing sustainability as a bolt-on, right? Mm -hmm. That I have my job over here, and what you're asking me to do is something different. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge we face is, you know, and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't, but how do we bake it into the business? So how does it become a part of, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I know this is a challenge, but, you know, I, I will say that Putting 10% of people's cash bonus on the line makes them focus really, you know, and it's, that's, you know, and I appreciate their challenges to getting that done within corporations. But I do think we have to figure out, again, you know, let me give you one other example. So at seventh generation, the, the biggest piece of the carbon footprint of the business is in the consumer use phase of laundry detergent sales. And for the longest time, we had a, a, a goal around reducing greenhouse gas emissions at the company, and we were including the whole sort of product life cycle, so including consumer use phase. But, you know, how does a brand manager or, you know, sort of get their head around what is their piece of a, you know, 20% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2025? I mean, it's silly, right? I mean, it's a we. I think about that kind of stuff, but I can assure you the head of the baby care business doesn't. But but so if you understand that the biggest piece of the business footprint is in the use phase of laundry detergent, then what you do is you set a goal around the number of seventh generation consumers that wash with cold water. Right? And that that has you doing a couple of things. One, it has you focused on innovation. So how do you because if 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 what you do is is you tell everybody to wash in cold and your product stinks, you've got a problem. It is similar Walmart when they introduced in, in the early days of, of compact fluorescent light bulbs, they pushed them heavily at really cheap prices to try and get people to make a switch, but the, the light from the lights stunk and they quit working quickly, and really, apparently, it turned off a whole bunch of people who still today won't buy compact glasses. So you, you, if you're going to tell people to do it, it it's got to work. So it can have you focused both on sort of innovation at the product level, but also the way in which you're con communicating to consumers. I mean, you know, seven generation was thinking they had to tell their consumers that their product works best in all temperatures, right? To sell, we don't want to tell people that it's just good in cold water because what if people want to wash in hot water? But if you set a goal that's about moving consumers from high temperature wash to cold, then so I think that's an example of how you can move something that feels like it's over here to something that marketing and R&D brand managers own. Mm. I'll make it, I'd like to make a comment as well. Um, 
in our old model, our original model of having a sustainability champions network to be the driver of engagement, that was work that was done on top of what people are usually doing, which is really what you're saying. Um, so, you know, can you help organize the bike to work day? Can you come and, um, you know, volunteer on a project that's on top of what people actually come to work and actually are paid to do? What we've realized is the way to get them to care about this topic is to understand what this topic of sustainability actually means to them in their line of business. So it's going to mean something different to someone in purchasing as it is to a developer or somebody who's a consultant. And so by baking it into their job and helping them to understand that this will actually help you to be more successful. So, for example, if you're a consultant and you're, you're traveling five days a week, if you reduce your travel and find ways to do your work virtually, even with your customer, you'll have better work-life balance, you won't be so tired, you won't get sick so frequently. Those are all benefits to the company, but they're also benefits to you. So take, we, we take a very holistic view of this topic of sustainability, and we try to understand what does it mean to different lines of business, and also what does it mean in, in all the different dimensions of what sustainability is. So I think what you want to do is to try to help people to see it from an, an integrated point point of view rather than from an on top of. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's, you know, not my job or I'm too busy or mm -hmm. two of the biggest, biggest things people hear. And in the spirit of this collaboratory concept, does anybody in the audience and, you know, just any, any specific experiences with this, any, any success stories in dealing with people saying I'm too busy to a sustainable initiative? Anybody have overcome that or yeah, go ahead. We actually work with companies doing um, employee volunteerism. And one thing that we find works well is if leadership is dictating. Hmm. Leadership is saying, hey, we really want you to come out to this event. We really want you to be involved in this. People you would fall in line. Great. Yeah. Nice and short. That's good. Let's do a couple more. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Pete Bocalandro. I'm with the Barrow Works, um, a firm that helps companies with their community involvement. And I'll just speak for one of my clients, HP, so um, in World Wildlife Fund is here, I know, I don't think anybody from HP is, but um, they, uh, I think what I've seen work several times, and I think this is a good example of it, is to integrate it in a way that helps them achieve their metrics, their job success. So the example I want to give is <coughs> HP um, with... Um, with the World Wildlife Fund, trains their salespeople to um, to help small businesses in sustainability. So when the salesperson goes to a meet a small enterprise to sell HP product uh, or services, they as they they have an added value that they offer them, which is we can help you lower costs, we can help you be greener, we can help you lower your carbon footprint. And so, um, and that is helping them with closing the sale. So I think if there's any way you can integrate the two so that it actually is productive for whatever they have on their plate, it takes off like wildfire. That's great. So if there's any other from somebody directly working with the brand, um, anybody like, as from the company, I mean, anybody, go ahead. Um, and we do have a lot of very interested people who want to be part of it but don't have time. 
are kind of on the fence but absolutely don't have time because their interest level isn't driven. I've got a list of them whenever they've ever contacted me. And I just always, like, you know, once a quarter, I'll send them an email, I'll give them a phone call, and say, how are you doing? What can I do to help you? Do you want to learn anything new today? And it's just that constant talking to them. I had one person who wanted to start green team in his office for a year and a half. And after a year and a half of me calling him every six weeks, every two months, he finally got it up and running. He's got the best green team in company. So it's just a constant holding hands and shepherding and just letting them know, hey, it's okay, thank you for having a job, but I'm here to help you whenever you want. Great. Thank you. So let's, um, let's move on to more questions. There are a few more questions out there. And actually, as we do this, um, I'm going to take a big risk here and pass around my personal notebook because I forgot to bring another pad. Just don't go flipping through it. There's a few <laughs> pictures that are perfectly sane, a drawing of my foot, but, you know, it's all, it's all good. Just um, if you're interested in the employee, uh, Beyond Employee Engagement Collaboratory, um, we will not use your email for any other purposes. Um, it's a really interesting, engaged group of people. And the whole point of it is simply to learn from each other. So if you're interested, just name an email, and we'll pass this around. OK, question. Uh, yeah, I'm Tony Lane with uh, Perkins & Will. I'm an architect and uh, director of sustainable design for our firm. This is the first time I've been to this conference, and I really have appreciated it. Is the dialogue is very similar to the dialogue that we're having in sort of the design community, but we're just using different nouns. Uh, and I guess my comment is a lot, a lot of ways this is all about uh, a change in paradigm from a, sort of a reductionist paradigm to a systemic one. And that's what I, I appreciate about Rachel's you've got technology now that's showing that and then um, uh, the, the rest of the conversation around that. I was just wondering if you could comment some on um, how it is that maybe move to a more systemic uh, view of the world that allows us to happen. And then specifically, uh, Chris, I was really interested in your comment about tying um, financial performance to your social and sustainability performances. And my question is, uh, you said they had to increase the so, well, does someone want to take the first piece of that question? Or should I? So I, I have, yeah. I can, um, first of all, one comment, which is what you said about the different nouns. I'm really glad you said that because we are learning not to use the word sustainability with, when we're talking to the lines of business because it's, it's kind of it's a little worn out. And it got a bad reputation when we started doing things like taking away people's disposable cups. That was really annoying. And so that, you know, we kind of got a bad reputation. So we're trying to stop using that word sustainability and really speak other people's language. So, you know, when we talk to architects, we use those nouns, whatever they are. Let me know what they are later. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure if I understood your second question, but I'm going to take a stab at it. Um, so if we stop using the word sustainability because that's the bolt-on, we have to try to understand it when a company of 60,000 people, what is the one thing that we agree on? And the one thing that we know we agree on is the company vision, which is to help the world run better, especially using our core, core technology. Um, by having something you agree on, I think it helps you to move that thinking into the wider system. And I think that's what your question was. How do you, how do you get this away from being the bolt-on and get it into the system? And um, for us, it's definitely been 
uh, very helpful to tie it to the company purpose. And actually, I was telling somebody else earlier this, um, what we're experiencing with this is actually a big shift because we, you know, we're a 40-year-old company, a German technology company, engineers, German engineers, you know, and we're pretty proud of that. But what we're actually experiencing now is a shift towards this vision, which is now we're not just a great technology company. We're actually a company that uses its core technology to meet some of the, the, the most pressing needs that this planet is facing. So we're actually moving to much more of a place of purpose. People were talking about this this morning as well. Tying what we do really well to a sense of purpose. And that also helps us to move it into the wider system. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it, it was mainly just, in, in my world, if, if you say, hey, we want to make this building sustainable, so we're going to add, you know, PD's to the roof, and we're going to put daylight sensors in, is, is it going to cost me more? And the answer is always yes. Right. So I just looked at the whole system and say, well, we can reduce the lighting load, and that reduces the mechanical, and then you can buy it cheaper. So it pays for itself. So it's about looking at it in the whole. Yeah. I thought that's what I appreciated that, about the right. way you were looking at yeah. your stuff, because it wasn't equipment or systems, but it was, yes. you know, systems. Yeah, yeah. And okay. then uh, quickly on your point around what happens if we don't, if, if our social and sustainability performance does not exceed our financial performance. The quick answer is we have this unique structure of this independent board at Ben & Jerry's. They have, they, they have been freed since the acquisition of any fin, uh, financial or fiduciary responsibility. They do have legal authority over brand equity and the social mission of the company. So if push came to shove, if there was a big thing, you know, if there was a, a, a big issue with the company departing from its mission or not achieving its goals, it does ultimately have legal authority against Unilever to take some action. Now, we have been fortunate that we've had great support from the parent company, you know, investments in the mission. Uh, and so to the best of my knowledge, we have not been in that position. I will say the company has been doing – really well the last couple of years, which means we really have to focus on solid social and, and environmental sustainability performance to ensure that we outpace financial growth. That's great. So um, we've got about seven minutes left, and so I just want to – I think we're doing a great job of asking specific questions and the panelists of being nice and brief, and let's just keep that up so we can get as much out of this as possible. Um, and not to put too much undue pressure on the last, next uh, questions, but let's go ahead and see who's – so one and then two. Go ahead. Hi, it's Tom Strong with the Hitachi Foundation, and this is for all three of you, but perhaps especially for me, which is that um, listening to you, it occurred to me that the, the stuff that all three of your companies is doing is really great, but you're all starting from a position of already having really engaged employee cases. Like 79% may not seem like that much to you, but my, my foundation just did a poll with AP Nork of thousands of companies across the U.S., and 79% is a so my question is, particularly when doing something like your your survey is going to potentially risking or even seeming to risk people's anonymity in answering those questions, like what kind of steps did you have to take in building a, a level of trust <coughs> for employees to be comfortable with that, even if it was going through a third party? Um, sure. I mean, I think, like you said, we do have the benefit of having a long history with our mission and 
I would like to say the vast majority of our employees know about that well and are a part of it. But, you know, some manufacturing folks that we just hired in the past year in a small town might not have any clue as to what the sustainability mission is, and that's partly why we're still really focused on employee engagement. We don't want to take that for granted. We have new people coming in all the time, and things are always changing. Um, and... You know, not everybody gave us their cell phone number. So I think we are still building that trust. It wasn't a mandate, like, you have to do this because it's still something outside of work. Um, but I think, especially for people that are familiar with our mission and what we're doing, and also the promise that we are using it to help them do their job better, and by them seeing the follow-through of the focus groups, really help them see, okay, well, if I have anything that I want to say, this is really the format that I can do that. And I think having that follow-through loop is what's going to make it long-term successful rather than just sort of a campaign that we're promoting and getting people to talk about, you know, for a few quarters this year. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and actually, one more quick thing. Um, this is Patrick. I don't know if anybody knows Patrick. you want to stand up for a second, Patrick? He doesn't know I'm doing this. So, um... Patrick is at Sustainable Brands, and he's the point person in talking to people about the collaboratory. So if you're going to hear from somebody afterwards, it'll be, it'll be Patrick, um, those of you that are signing up on the notebook. Okay, now you got a question. Yeah, um, for Rachel, um, first of all, congratulations on the integrated financial report. It's fabulous. Um, you guys have just done great work with the annual report for years. Thank you. I'm curious, though, in my experience, a vast majority of employees don't read their own company's financial report. That's a great question. Um, you're right. Most people don't read it. Most people didn't read our sustainability report either before we integrated it. I think the main, the main point of what we're working on with those connecting the financials and not financials is that we got to a point where we, we put this, this data into the hands of you know, the, the line, heads of the line of business. And they needed to cascade it down a layer or two or three or four. And although they intellectually got that it's probably a good thing to measure employee retention and greenhouse gases and so on, they weren't they, they, they didn't have the they didn't they didn't have the proof. They didn't they, they needed to know so tell me why. how is this actually gonna help me? because basically what these people are measured by are the revenue, the the costs and, and so on, very traditional measures, and that's what our, you know, our annual objectives are, that we have not yet integrated sustainability metrics into, properly into our, into our um, performance measures. So we're not there yet. But this is a way for us to start to help them to understand how actually these things will help them to achieve their, their targets. So it's very much a starting point. As I said, this is still work in pro progress, um, but this is, it, it's helping us to help them to understand what the connection is and how it's helping them to do, to do better business. Can I, I, I foresee a conversation afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think for those of us who care about this stuff and work on, on sustainability reporting, uh, we have to do a better job of sort of packaging this for, mm -hmm. for the audiences that we want to read it. I think, you know, telling sustainability stories through the eyes of employees, which engage employees in both telling the story and generating interest among their colleagues, mm -hmm. using things like infographics and just, you know, I mean, we've all read these things and they're typically quite sleepy. So I think it's on us to, uh, you know, working with our marketing teams and, and social media folks and others to really make these 
more accessible and approachable to employees. Mm -hmm. And then maybe just one final thought. Those, uh, that tool that we have, the interactive tool where you click on it and it shows it, and then it gives you the, the financial, the value, they love that. They loved it. So we used that as a tool in the, in the report for our stakeholders, but when we took it to heads of lines of business, they were like, oh, my God, give us more of this. Finally, we get it. Yeah. Great. So we're going to do one more question during, you know, game time, and then we're going to go into overtime for people who want to stay. Um, does anybody want to stay for an extra five, ten minutes, or do you want to break? We have – the way the schedule works is um, at five <laughs> – 4.30, there's a 15-minute break. There's no reception. It's just a break, and then there's the plenary. So I just sometimes when you try to extend, it seems chaotic because people get up. It's not rude to get up after the next question. Um, but how, how many people won't want to stay and keep talking, and how many want to just wrap? If you want to, if you want to, it's not that many, then maybe we could just end it on time. All right, let's do that. I only got a few hands. So we'll end it on time. Last question, Paul. And then my notebook only made it about two-thirds <laughs> of the way through the room. So those of you, if you want to hear from Patrick and talk about this collaboratory and you haven't got a chance to, to sign my yearbook, um, <laughs> if you want to come up here afterwards and just hand myself or Patrick a card, it would be perfect. Paul, last question. Okay, too good, too deep, we're done. Um, all right, please don't leave up the next question. Leave after the next answer. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Gallup does this question on the um, Paul Herman investor. Uh, does this question on uh, I do my best work every day and the average answer uh, people saying yes is 20% <laughs> and one way you can think about that is the person and another way you can think about that is if there's five days in a week it's like one day <laughs> and so a benefit of employee engagement could be if you could just get one more day a week you could double productivity so my question is one what are you finding the answers inside your company are to that question if you're willing to share and then two, there's really a question about like ownership, employee engagement might someday be like employee ownership, not just financial ownership, but really this relationship to ownership. Because I uh, told my wealth manager friend yesterday about human capital value, that interface is really human capital value. And I said, well, won't people ask for more money then if they know what their value is? <laughs> and the answer is yes, they should if everybody understands this return on investment versus this cost. So, um, so the question there is, how are people reacting to that capital value? Do they see themselves as just earning more money, or do they help get the ROI? Yeah, um, so to the first question, I don't have the data off the top of my head. Um, I can get it to anybody who's interested in talking about it. I mean, the response rates are increasing, and I know that we definitely had a variability in the answers to that question. So um, depending on the departments people worked in, but I don't off the top of my head have the answer to the um, question as to do people do their best work daily. Um, and to the question about the response to the human capital value, we have not brought it down to that level internally yet. Um, we have exposed senior management to it and worked with people among our team in exploring it, um, but we're going to take it to that next level soon. We're also trying to be conscious of how we communicate it just from the variation. So this morning I showed you sort of the average 
um, human capital value from our different regions. And given the inputs, it was significantly lower in Thailand. And we want to be very sensitive to communicating to that to our people and that it's not that the people in Thailand are less valuable than the people in the Americas. So I think we're really trying to be thoughtful about all of that before we really take it down to that next level um, of our employee base. I'll make a, a quick comment on your first question, which is around how what's like what really what's the, one of the levers um, to help engage people more. And I the, I would say the one that we're that we're finding is the whole top, uh, concept of purpose, relating connecting with a deeper purpose. Um, you know, Dan Pink and mastery autonomy purpose. So the purpose piece um, for us would be, for example, someone who's a, a developer is coding. What do they do all day? They code. They code software. So it's helping that person shift from being I'm a coder of software to I am someone who helps that African lady um, double her income to help feed her family and um, educate her children. And that is a, a huge shift in the way people connect with their work and why they go, why they go to work and why they are um, why they why they yeah compelled to do what they do. And that's that's incredibly tightly linked with engagement. Great. So before we close, um, I noticed that uh, Bart is here from B Corporation, um, right here in the front row. And, hey, and B Corporation has been focused on trying to create a transparent survey to help companies understand how they perform on various metrics around social and environmental responsibility. And what's exciting about the survey is that hundreds and hundreds of companies have taken it the certified B Corps, their results are transparent on the website. And even more, if, you, if a company doesn't score as well on a particular question, there's tools and resources to improve the score. So it's, you know, um, a few hours ago, uh, Amy from Sprint was talking about how she was trying to create some turnkey tools for their supply chain. So a supply chain member could, you know, they need to perform better in terms of environment and and Sprint had this toolkit so the supply chain member could actually self-guide themselves through a process of improving. Uh, and they were really grateful for that. And for my company, when we first took the survey, my company is a founding B Corporation, we didn't score as well as I thought we would. And I was like, wow, well, we, we, when people have a kid, we let them take you know, some time, but we didn't have a formal policy, so we couldn't actually mm -hmm. score well on that. So it, it actually helped my company perform better by taking the survey and then finding the links on tools. So that's bcorporation.net. Um, thank you all. I, I, um, you all threw a lot of softballs. I was hoping you'd ask some tougher questions. So um, participate in the collaboratory. And I think we're, I mean, I really wanted to ask Chris, like this peer-to-peer -peer pressure thing, how'd that work? Because that sounded really cool. And I was curious if there was any issues that came up in the context of it. I and mean, imagine if a whole department gets a bonus if everybody does something. I hadn't heard that before. I've heard it in, you know, the Dutch uh, lottery, the way they work their thing, but I hadn't heard it in the context of, of a good. Okay. So if you didn't get the, the notebook and you want to do this, just uh, give myself or Patrick a card. Thank you very much for attending.